Good morning, everyone. Hey, it's good to be here and be able to look to God's word together this morning. How about if I just open with prayer as we look to God's word together? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us clearly in and through your word and ultimately in and through your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, to open our minds to that word, that we may respond in a way that brings honour and glory to you. For in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to look at two of the Psalms. And today we're looking at Psalm number 63. 63. It's good to know the context of the psalm. It's good to know the context of the passage you're looking at. Because when you look at the Bible, it's not just things that are being shoved together. From Genesis to Revelation, it's God revealing himself and revealing himself in and through his Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And God's plan and purpose to bring a people to himself. That's the plan of Scripture. And this psalm fits in to that plan, of course. And where it fits actually in the life of David is that this psalm was written when David was fleeing Jerusalem. Um, Absalom, uh, his son, one of his sons, uh, had decided that he ought to be king and not David. And therefore, there was a, a revolt, there was a coup taking place. And he sought to kill David. And as he, Absalom said to the crowds, oh, that I were your judge. Do you know how things would be wonderful if I was the one? And let's do away with the king and let's do away with, with all of my siblings at the same time. So I'm the only one who stands. And this is Absalom coming and taking over Jerusalem. As he comes toward Jerusalem, David gets ready and he decides he needs to leave Jerusalem. And the priests get the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle that has the Ten Commandments, etc., in it, and they pick that up and they go to go with David to flee into the wilderness. But David says to them, no, do not bring this Ark. It is to stay in Jerusalem. It is to stay in Jerusalem. And so he sends it back. Now, that's an important thing in understanding this psalm because in people's minds... The presence of God was where the ark was. And that's why the priests thought, let's get the ark and take it with David so it's clear to everyone God's with David. Do you follow what the thinking would be? Now, we do that ourselves a little bit as well. Uh, we can sometimes feel that when we're together here in this place on Sunday and worshipping God together, that it's a special time and so it is. And the time in the tabernacle, worship in the tabernacle in Jerusalem, it was a very special time, a very special time, like it is together. But is this the only place where God is with his people? Do you, it may be a special time, but it's not the only. And this is what David is demonstrating to the people. He flees into the Judean desert. Um, we're now seeing a lot about Israel on the news at the minute. If you've been watching any news... Um, with the uprising that, that's going on on the West Bank in Gaza. Um, have, have, I, I've had the privilege of going to Jerusalem. Has anyone else had that privilege of doing that here? Oh, I'm the only one. Okay, right. Um, but I had that privilege because, and I, uh, 
we had in 2009 what was called GAFCON, um, which was evangelicals, Anglican evangelicals coming together, and it was in Jerusalem that we met. And therefore, having been there and having travelled down and seen um, Galilee and other areas, it is just plain rocky land. Do you, do you know, it is desert, but it's not desert sand so much. It's just nothing growing with rock and dirt, and you feel as though okay, I need to get washed. You know, I've got gritty. You know how you feel the dry grittiness that you have on you? So it's out into the wilderness that David flees to this rocky, dry place. His life is under threat because once a rebellion like this starts, there is no going back. Absalom has thrown everything into it and those who support Absalom have thrown everything into it. We either win or we die. That's where it is. So to get the king, to kill the king, to kill the siblings is a commitment that Absalom has. And here in this psalm, as David flees out into the wilderness, when he's in the wilderness, here is this psalm that he wrote. And this is a prayer. And this is Psalm David speaking to the Lord. David is crying out to the Lord in this time of trouble. And David expresses in this psalm as we move through tremendous confidence and tremendous expectation that he sees from the Lord. Now you'll notice there's an outright with, uh, outline with the psalm on the inside of your bulletin and you'll see it falls into, into three sections as you read the psalm. The first part is, I thirst for you, the crying out to the Lord. The second is the reason, because your love is better than life. And the third is, the mouths of liars will be silenced. So the first two verses, beginning of this prayer. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. When, when tragedy comes and strikes a family or strikes an individual, but that spills over into the family, um, have you noticed that as human beings we tend to go one way or the other? Uh, we either draw together and grow together or we draw away from each other. We do one or the other. One of the sad things when there's lots of families break up when there's a tragedy um, all of a sudden, it's, everything is fractured. There's others, when there's a tragedy, the family comes much closer together. And can I suggest to you that it, it, the tragedy shows whether your commitment to each other is a personal commitment of knowing and loving and being vulnerable with each other, or whether your commitment is like your commitment to a society or a group or something, or to a religion, do you know? And it just isn't working out, so I don't want that anymore. Do you know? Is it to a thing, or is it personal? Is there a personal reality here? So is the commitment to a church, um, to Christian faith as you may see it, or religion, or is your commitment to a living God? Do you see that difference? And that comes out here within this psalm. And so the key to this is David's cry, you God are my God. Now, if you were writing that, I, I think you're, uh, 
I better not say this because I'll be in trouble. But I think an English teacher might say this could be expressed a little bit better with that. This is blunt, right? Very blunt. And, and in the Hebrew, very, very blunt. You, God, my God. No, all bits and pieces holding it together. It's just an expression that flows from the heart. It's simple and it's bold. And it's talking about David's relationship with God. It's a very relationship phrase, is it not? You, God, my God, is what he's talking about. And he's relating back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. I will be your God, you will be my people. It's the agreement that God has made with his people that he's bringing to himself. And that's what David is expressing. You, God, are my God. You are my God. You know, in the writer of the Hebrews, writing to those early Christians, talks about this promise and this covenant and what the promise was and what the covenant means now, where we stand now. And he quotes from Jeremiah 31. So in Hebrews 8, he writer says, This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The covenant as promised to Abraham is ultimately revealed in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And therefore it's no longer following a set of rules here. It's being placed in our hearts through the gift of the Spirit that our love for God, our knowledge for God, our long to please God. In knowing him, we long to be what he is calling us to be and what his Spirit gives us grace to be. For David, believing the promise, a personal God. And here he is in a dry and parched land. For us, we're not so much living in... <laughs> Can I say, uh, Robinson is not a dry past land, in case you hadn't noticed at all. It's quite wet and green uh, land. And therefore, for us, the, and what he's talking, what the writer of the Hebrews and Jeremiah was saying for the future, for the future, we will, we'll, it is when we become spiritually dry, and, and we all have our ups and downs in life, do we? We all have good times, bad times, good weeks, bad weeks, it's the same. But there is a consistency that David is talking about and a consistency that we're talking about here. The consistency is that, that God, you alone, can quench the thirst that I have, the emptiness, emptiness that I have, the loss that I have within me. You alone can fill that. I've known it and I believe you will continue to do it. Do you see? So we, they... David is looking out to the promise. We actually have the fulfilment of that promise in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, he says, I, this is because I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. So see how he's talking about, yes, 
the ark is back there, it's in the tabernacle, and I remember those times that all together we came and worshipped you, we glorified you, we read your word, we seek to obey your word, listen to your word, back worshipping together in Jerusalem, singing and praying and reading scripture. And God, remember that you spoke to us, you spoke to us, you moved us, uh, we, we relied on the revelation of yourself and we found grace in your word and we grew in our love for you. That was a special time that you had for us, a special time. Uh, and so I remember that. And because I know that, I know that the same thing can happen here for me out in the wilderness now. Do you see how he looks back and says, this, this I remember clearly together. This is how you worked amongst us. And even though I'm feeling so out of my own and in the desert and dry, I, I, I know that you are the same God and the same love, and the same covenant, and the same trust. It's for me whether I'm sitting in the tabernacle or whether I'm out in the desert. And that same love is whether I feel down and out and terrible today. Your love has not changed. Your grace has not changed. Your commitment to me has not changed. It remains. It remains still the same. So he reminds himself of what all this means. What does this mean? There's only one place where our deep inner longing to know and be known can be fulfilled and that is in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ himself. In John 4 as we read Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wonderful words. You can see those words, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman in that dry place and the same words that David is remembering um, about God's promise. And why is this so? What, what, why can this confidence be so? What, what is on about this? Why? Because your love is better than life. What a wonderful phrase, isn't it? Because God, your love for me is better than life. This is verse 3 on. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, with mouth, I will praise you. On my bed, bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. David stops to remind himself of, about this personal relationship that God has brought him into with himself, how God has made himself known and God has brought this response from him in his relationship with himself. Uh, Paul says this same sort of thing when he's on the road to Jerusalem and knows that the end is coming. He says, Neither I count life dear unto myself so that I might finish the course with joy. Because all that this world offers, great as it is, cannot satisfy, give peace and contentment as knowing you, God, is the ultimate peace and contentment. And knowing God ultimately explains the world in which I live and allows me to enjoy the world in which I live, enjoy it to the full. 
You know, there is quoted, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. And you think, okay, what's he talking about here? Because this is used by people who don't care less about God, isn't it? But what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, because God, you are my God, and because of the close relationship I have with you, and because this world is you've given me for me to enjoy you and enjoy this world in which you've given me, therefore I'm going to enjoy it to the full. And I will still know that joy and peace when I go to be with you as well. It's quite interesting. But here, because all the world offers, it can't give. It's only in Christ can we have that peace and joy. And only in God's love can there be anything better than life. And so he says, what's the response that he's going to have? He says, my lips will glorify you. To God alone I recognise honour and glory and praise. Yes, I have lots of other relationships. I have lots of other things to be joyful for and thankful for. But the ultimate, the key, the key to who I am, the key to who I am, is my joy in God himself. And I will express that verbally in song and prayer and testimony is what he's saying. And he said, I will praise with uplifted hands. And the uplifted hands is not just simply one hand need to be in the air when you sing. That's not a hassle if you did or if you didn't. But my whole being is going to be part of this. My whole being is going to be part of this. I must admit, I, uh, Jonah myself, when I finally retired, but we're still running around doing things for the diocese. I thought, I'm now retired. We ought to do something different. So I thought, okay, let's go and see. Let's attend the Sydney Symphony and the Opera House. Let's do that each year. Let's get a, a session and let's go, right? And so we turn up at the Opera House. And then I find, here's some great music playing and everyone's just sitting there. I thought, what's going on here? There ought to be something. Even the foot tapping's got to go. Something's got to happen. You can't have Beethoven and not tap a foot, can you, or something like that. And so I've just got to quietly do it, my foot in my shoe or something to do it. But there's, there, there, what he's talking about here, Lord, when I sing, it's my whole body tied up with it. You know, the whole of me is caught up in this. This isn't just a, a head thing. It's the, my whole body thing. I want to praise you. And he says, I will be fully satisfied with you, fully satisfied with you fully satisfied. Um, the thing that came to my mind with this is that when we, uh, Joan and myself and baby and toddler, we went off to Malaysia and we went to Penang. And um, Malaysians, would you believe, Malaysians go to Penang for holidays and they go to Penang for one reason. Do you know what it is? To eat food. If you have any Asians as friends on Facebook, every photograph has what in it? Food in it. So we have, what, 45, 48 Chinese language clergy in Sydney, all running big congregations in Sydney, and I've had the joy over the years of looking after them and of going and worshipping with them. They know how to put on food, right? They really know how to put on food. But the thing, the thing that I will always remember, very early days in Penang, we were invited by, by the, this, this group of Chinese Christians to come to a restaurant. And they said, okay, that this is going to be a 15-course banquet. 
and, and the time of eating turned out to be about over two and a half hours. I have never been so full in all my life. Nothing more could go in because you just slowly build it and slowly do it. So can you see how my brain goes back to here every time that I, I read this verse? Uh, I will be fully satisfied, right? There's, I'm not looking for something else to nibble. I'm not looking for something else to drink or something else to do. Father, Lord, you, you totally satisfy every part of my being. And I'll sing with my mouth. I will sing, singing, I will sing with my lips, with my mouth. I will praise you forever. My praise will come from deep within and be filled with joy for you. And then he says, in bed, at, on, on, on the night, at night, there's nothing worse than waking up in the middle of the night totally awake. Is there oldies? Am I the only oldie that does that? Or do some of you do as well? And boom, you're just awake. Why am I awake? Well, I, I don't know why. There's no great reason or something. Uh, other times you wake when you're worried and concerned about things. And therefore, what do you do? You toss and turn and so forth. And what David is saying in bed, the watches of the night, that when that happens... It, the night goes so slow. Do you know you, you're waiting for the dawn to come and it just goes so slow. So instead of concentrating on the problems and Absalom and all those difficulties, Lord, you've taught me to concentrate on you, to focus my attention on you and to focus my attention on your love and mercy and your grace for me. That's what I remember. He remembers how you've, I fled and fled, and you gave me a place for safety. And it talks about under the chick's wings, do you know? So the place of safety, that here is the, the birds of prey are coming around, and what does the chick do? Runs, runs to the mother hen and hides under the wing. It's a wonderful picture that's here, isn't it, that's given. Uh, and because he understands I am weak, I am vulnerable, and my only place of security, Father, is in you. That's where my place, that's where my security is. I understand that. I thirst for you, the psalmist says, because your love is better than life. And this is how it shows itself in my life. That's what I've experienced. This is why I praise God I will continue to experience. And then thirdly, the mouths of liars will be silenced. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth for they will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David considers the enemy. He realizes, thinks about Absalom's rebellion, uh, what Absalom has done in killing so many people and seeking to destroy him and others as well. Remember, it, uh, Jesus said, the chief priests and the teacher of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd were amazed at his teaching, as what they said of Jesus. For David, the one who's going to be ultimate judge as you read these verses is not David. David's not setting himself up as the judge the one to, ful to fulfill the judgment. David is saying, God himself will judge. God himself will judge. And I believe that. Who is the only one who knows the heart, the intent of the heart? That is God himself. Who alone can make a right judgment? 
it is only God himself is what he's saying. Today is still the day to repent and believe and to know God as Father and Lord and Saviour in Christ. And David is confident that in the end, evil will be destroyed and God and truth will stand and the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. But the king himself will rejoice who? In God. In God. That's where my commitment is. That's where my love is. Not in his own resources, not in his own wisdom, not in his own strength. But spiritually, ultimately it's a spiritual battle and the only victory can be in and through Christ himself. And David and all those who are committed to Christ, committed to swear by God, will be able to stand firm and the mouths of liars will be silenced. Notice they're not going to be silenced by David, but the mouth, all, all lies will be marked out clearly as lies and deceit when Jesus returns and we actually see truth. We actually see truth. And all lies and deceit will be seen for what it has always been. This is what the book of Revelation is talking about. It's saying that already there's lies and deceit and there is truth. The book of Revelation is trying to help us to see through what God is trying to show us and tell us that ultimately it's truth that will stand and the truth will wipe out the lies. It's truth that knocks out lies. That's the only way you get rid of lies is with the truth. And the truth is none other than Jesus Christ himself. David's focus, not on the enemy, not on the trials, but on God himself and the triumph that there is in Christ. You know, I've mentioned this to you over these last days, but I keep coming back to this myself, that ultimately I just find, I just... You know, you realise when you wonder what's going on in the world, what's happening, what's going on, then God says, okay, ultimately, Peter, in the end, I am in control and I will judge rightly. I will judge rightly. And then when you read the book of Revelation, you'll find after the second coming and we are before him, as I've said to you before, there's often Christians who will say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask about this. When I get to heaven, I need to know what was going on there. When I get to heaven, I want to find this out. Uh, but you read the book of Revelation, there's no one asking any questions. Why? Because you're face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there is the truth. There is the truth. Their lies will be seen for what they are immediately. You won't need explanation. Look to the eyes of Jesus. It's only together as we look to the eyes of Jesus, look to Christ, that we can understand the error and the lies that are around us and we can stand firm in the truth together that is in Christ Jesus. The psalmist cries, I thirst for you. I thirst for you. Brothers and sisters, when you're going through some really difficult times, this is a great psalm to read, isn't it? It just expresses from the heart 
the reality of where David is. He's not denying all the hassles he's in. He's facing the hassles he's in. And the only way he knows how to face them is to cry out, you, God, are my God. Why? Because your love is better than life. And I find myself under your wing. I find myself clinging to you. The mouths of liars will be silenced. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And all honour, glory, power belongs to God himself. Let me lead you in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, where we see that it's the heart that you touch us and that, Lord, we are able to cry out, you, God, and my God. Uh, Because of your love for us, you've made yourself known to us and, and that you long that we know you in a deeper, more personal way. You've revealed us, revealed yourself to your, through your word and through your son. And we thank you, Lord, in fellowship together. We can read your word, study your word, pray about this word, and understand more about our relationship with you. And give us grace to live in the light of that relationship, to know that your love is truly better than life. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.